Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back, everyone, to the 40th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined, as always, by Arjun Menon. Coming off a really good week of football again, we are officially back after taking off the Wednesday show because we were both traveling. Arjun, tell everyone how your time in India was. Yeah, it was it was pretty fun. Got to see my grandparents for the first time uh, in person in, like, 10 years. So it, it was cool to kind of, like, go back to the homeland um, I think the one kind of thing to take away is I hope people don't question my loyalty to football. Um, sandwich in between two 24 hour flight or uh, travel days. You know, I had like multiple days of like staying up to like the wee hours of the morning watching games like Packers Dolphins, uh, waking up to do the PFF forecast at 4.30 a.m. So I hope people kind of like understand we're not just nerds who kind of just only watch the dots or just look at spreadsheets. That, and I know like other people around the world do this every weekend. I'm just saying that on my vacation after a pretty like long semester of like doing this twice a week and like 18 credit class uh, semesters with classes, um, you know, it's supposed to be like a relaxing time. Yet I'm, I'm waking up like really early in the morning to watch football. So love the game. Football never stops. Uh, pretty fun trip in India. But now I'm recording this as I'm back in the U.S. So uh, kind of excited to just be back on on turf that I know. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I'll never complain about night games going late on Eastern time where I have to stay up, you know, past 1130, past when I usually go to bed. If you're doing stuff like that where you're waking up super early to watch football or our friend Zach Rogers, who will always say that he has to wake up, you know, very early in the morning to to watch games and everything there. But this week, actually week 17, like it's there aren't many games worth watching. So, you know, when we're kind of looking ahead to the schedule, you had an idea that we should go through the strengths and weaknesses of each contender in order of the Super Bowl odds that are listed currently on the sports books. So, you know, we can we can each give a strength and a weakness for each of the top nine contenders that we have on our sheet here. So let's start with the Buffalo Bills uh, sitting as favorites at plus 340 to win the Super Bowl. What do you have as their strength? Yeah, so my strength is their offensive balance recently. So we all know about Josh Allen, how good he is, how good he is as a quarterback, how good Ken Dorsey's been as a play caller, like Stephon Diggs is a top five receiver. Like they have the pieces there to be a great passing offense. But I think what's, what's really set them apart in the past couple of weeks has been their rushing offense. So I, obviously, if you look at 
the entire season, they're not going to show up as favorably. But but I think Ken Dorsey's done a great job. And this is also just like on the coaching staff of like integrating James Cook a little bit more, who I think is a more explosive runner than Devin Singletary. But just improving their their rush EPA and just like their rushing offense in general, becoming a more balanced team. So since week 11, they actually rank third in EPA per rush. Like again, we know like in season splits, like that kind of stuff is already decreasing a small sample size. But like, I think if there is some truth to looking at some some of the recent games and i think the bills have done a good job kind of adjusting their offense on the fly especially when josh allen suffered his elbow injury and now becoming a more balanced offense like they can take advantage of those light boxes that they see every week because of how good they are passing but how good they can be running the ball um given that josh allen is like a running back in, in himself and how james cook has kind of been integrated into this offense so i kind of like their offensive balance recently and if they they can carry that over into the playoffs where it will be a little bit tougher to pass against some better pass defenses and it'll, it'll be a little bit colder i think be, being able to run the ball will help them go you know further than maybe they've ever gone before mm-hmm. yeah I, I love that and you know i thought ken dorsey's answer at the beginning of the season was a lot of josh allen designed rushes and they work but you don't want to put your quarterback in that harm's way that often so getting into the more of these developing concepts where they can use james cook as a rusher more to generate more successful rushes i think has been really helpful for their offense i think ken dorsey's done a really good job there you know, kind of keeping this offense on track, going from Brian Dable, who we know is a phenomenal play caller and has just showed that in, in two spots now, to Ken Dorsey, where he's also been able to kind of generate a similar production of offense with a similar skill set and and all the things that the Bills are doing. And that's why for me, like the Bills' strength is the Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs connection. You know, Diggs has the third most EPA generated on receiving targets in the NFL this year behind Justin Jefferson and Jalen Waddell. And he's the fourth best receiver in ESPN's tracking data metrics. I think mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs can really do it all. I think he's a phenomenal route runner and he's really good at the catch point. And, you know, those two things together with what Josh Allen kind of provides you from an arm strength perspective, being able to make every single throw, you know, possible on a football field, as well as kind of the off structure plays where Josh Allen is pressured and rolling out towards one of the sidelines and is still able to get it down to Stefan Diggs is something that's going to propel the Bills for a long time and the Bills have had issues with some of their offensive line injuries or the defensive injuries but they keep winning games I think in a large part because of Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs and how lethal that is and how often they're able to convert the chains because having those two there is such a good combination right now yeah no I completely agree Stephon Diggs is has kind of been the motor outside of Josh Allen for this offense and I definitely think like his um you know, his ability to get open is super important for Ken Dorsey. We have the same weakness for this one. I'm going to let you kick it off. Uh, what is the Bills' base weakness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of going away from Stefan Diggs to the other Bills receiving options. The, I don't think Dawson Knox, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie are reliable number two receiving options going forward in the playoffs. And we know as you get into the playoffs, you get more team-specific game plans. We saw this last year with what D'Amico Ryans was able to do to the Packers offense that relied so much on Devontae Adams throughout the year and how he was able to take away Adams in that playoff game and force Aaron Rodgers to the other receiving options. Stephon Diggs has 67.1 total EPA on his targets this year. The rest of the Bills' receiving targets combined have 58 total EPA. So they're, 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 you know, they're less than Stephon Diggs as a whole. And then if you look at the ESPN tracking data metrics for receivers, again, Dawson Knox has a 45 out of 100. Isaiah McKenzie's at 43. 
and Gabriel Davis is at 38. So they're all mm-hmm. below average when it comes to receiving talent. And like that's what's worrisome to me about the Bills is if Stefan Diggs is able to be bracketed, which is a very hard thing to do, you know, how are the Bills going to respond to this in the playoffs? And is someone going to be able to step up and get open when Josh Allen's not able to hit Diggs on every other play? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you said it best. Um, and we've seen in the past that like teams that only rely on one receiver to be the brunt of their offensive production just it, it, they struggle in the playoffs because teams just design their scheme to stop them. We've seen this with the Packers for now three straight years that they just get to the playoffs and they can't rely on Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb to kind of like be a secondary receiving option. And I mean, Brandon Bean and, um, you know, Sean McDermott are is prob- are probably like one up there in terms of the best GM head coaching combo. I do think they probably made a little bit of a mistake trusting Gabriel Davis to take this huge jump from wide receiver four to wide receiver two. Um, in one of the in one of my Twitter posts that I posted this week, um, I showed that Gabe Davis is bottom ten and getting open versus single man coverage and getting open is just whether the PFF charters charting chart him as open or not. So he struggled, I think, a little bit this year to take that huge jump. And I think going into the playoffs, like they're going to need him to be playoff Gabe like he was last year. But I don't know if that will come. Another another like small weakness I I was thinking about, but didn't put that I won't talk that much about is maybe the Bills pass defense with I I don't I don't know if if I can trust their secondary like enough. And against like Mm -hmm. the Chiefs and the Bengals, like you need an A1 secondary. And I don't know if they have that. But um, yeah, Bills are, you know, favorites for a reason on most books. I know some books have the Chiefs, which we'll talk about next. Um, on some books, you'll find them find them at five to one. So, uh, what do you think is the Chiefs' biggest strength? I feel like we already know, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as long as it's it's really their pass offense as a whole. But it, the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, as long as they have those three clicking on all cylinders, the Chiefs are always going to be the most dangerous pass offense in the entire league. And you know, I just wanted to shine some light on what Travis Kelsey is doing this season. You know, Kelsey has. 2.4 yards per route run, which is first amongst all tight ends in the NFL, obviously. But the next closest is George Kittle at 1.9. So, you know, there's a pretty big gap between Kelsey and the second best tight end in the league right now. And I think, like, on top of that, Andy Reid is showing his adjustment to everything that was shown at the Chiefs this season. And a lot of that is Travis Kelsey targets over the middle of the field and Mahomes making plays. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious to say all of this stuff, but like the Chiefs pass offense is just so good right now, despite losing Tyree kill and, you know, everything, every piece that they've been able to add into it, you get the carries Tony touchdown last week off a of cool Andy Reid play design and like all this stuff that they're going to be able to do and evolve as they go into the playoffs. And as Andy Reid makes his scheme even more unique going into the playoffs, mm-hmm. we usually see from him that as they kind of like coast through the rest of the regular season here, I'm really excited to see what wrinkle he throws into the mix to kind of put them a step up amongst defenses that think they know that what the Chiefs are going to do, but they don't actually know. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, I think, you know, having Patrick Mahomes uh, kind of just mitigates a lot of the weaknesses of the roster. And he's done exactly what you've expected him to do when you gave him that 10-year 45 mil per contract. And I think he's um stepped up in a big way he's the mvp favorite for a reason he never should have been under an underdog to jalen hurts we kind of saw that that when Minshew had that performance against the cowboys defense like it's pretty obvious it's not obvious but like i think we can agree that mahomes is just the better quarterback and he means more to his team um kind of uplifting a 
an average, I would say, maybe slightly above average roster that the Chiefs have. Um, but in terms of their weakness, I think like we both went on different sides of the ball, or we we both went to defense. We looked at different things. I I do worry about their pass rush a little bit. Um, I don't. They actually rank like top twelve in pressure percentage, which is good. If you look at, if you only look at um pass rush reps where they only rush four edge rush or four rushers, they drop to sixteenth. So they, you can say like they're average, like a slightly above average unit. But I think I think like you look at that pass rushing team or pass rushing unit. You have Chris Jones, who ranks eighth in total pressures this year. You have Carl Loftus, who's in like the forties. And then like there's there's kind of like a drop off. Like you don't really have like any other like reliable guys. Like Carlos Dunlap is a is just a true pass rusher. He doesn't really play on rundowns. They don't really trust him to do that. Michael Dana after Carl Loftus is your highest. Uh, or you have Frank Clark at thirty nine pressures, but like Frank Clark, like everyone knows, he's not that good, and he just plays a lot because the Chiefs don't have edge rushers, right? So mm-hmm. I kind of worry about their ability to create pressure in the playoffs once they go against the herberts or the allens or the burrows like guys who've done a great job this season of kind of like not letting pressure turn into sacks and even generating pressure at all um so i I do worry about their pass rushing unit as as a whole and i think that translates into them struggling in other parts of the field which i think you'll talk about a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah you know you mentioned the 12th in pressure rate but not actually having that good of a pass rush and i think a lot of that is the chiefs defense sees more expected pass situations against them uh, than most teams because their offense is usually putting up a ton of points and forcing the opposing offense to have to pass a lot. So that's, like, I think, where the disparity comes from there. And, yeah, I think you you kind of nailed it there where it's like their their pass rush just doesn't have much juice to it. I think you know, one of their main goals this offseason should be finding an edge rusher opposite Carl Aftis because I think Carl Aftis mm-hmm. is a good edge rusher, but he's probably not ever going to get to you know a high-end edge rusher status where he can generate a high-end pressure rate for you so I think finding someone else there to kind of take some of the load off of him would be really good and for me it's just kind of the pass defense as a whole and they're 18th in EPA per drop back again so they're below average in that aspect and they have the pat the corners and secondary hasn't really proved themselves against a good offense to me yet the Bengals picked yeah. on their corners the entire game and you know if the inevitable in the inevitable uh chiefs Bengals matchup happens in the playoffs i think we could see a similar thing from them there the chargers both times that they played the chiefs moved the ball against their corners pretty easily and you know those are some of the best games that the the chargers receivers had the entire season so the inexperience in the secondary is something we've talked about decent amount about the chiefs defense and i think that could really show in the playoffs we're going to need another spags kind of renaissance where he gets the defense ready <laughs> to go for the yeah. for the playoffs like usual but it's going to be a lot tougher this year because you don't have that experience like you had a Tyron Matthew when you won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago like it's, it's going to be a, you know more difficult to get that going this year for the Chiefs yeah yeah I completely agree um and I mean they're on some of the sharper books like Circa like they are fit like they are the number one team in terms of like their odds to win the Super Bowl but yeah, when you have Mahomes, it kind of masks a lot of the weaknesses you have elsewhere on the roster. Um, let's move on to the first team in the NFC, the Eagles, who are also five to one. Um, I'll kick us off here. So I think the biggest strength for them, I think they have a lot of strengths, but their biggest one to me is just having great slash elite talent at premium positions. Um, unfortunately, like they lose Lane Johnson to an injury this week, but the dude is so tough. He's he's gonna be playing through like a torn pectoral or like he's he's playing through this injury which a surgery would knock him out two to three months but 
you look at like the top five or six premium positions, quarterback Jalen Hurts, I think we can agree he's a great, I don't know if he's elite yet, but he's a great quarterback. Um, at left tackle, right tackle, my lot uh, Lane Johnson, two guys who have played on an island for a majority of their pass walking snaps are around like 70%, which is the highest in the league. And they are very successful doing it. At receiver, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith. Um, edge rusher, you have like a, a myriad of pass rushers with Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, um, Brandon Graham. I don't know if Robert Quinn comes back. Corner, Slay, and Bradbury. And then I guess you can include the sixth premium position, which is interior D-line with Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave. Like they don't have any weaknesses at these premium positions. And when you get to the playoffs, like you need your premium guys to step up. And I think the Eagles have that at every single premium position, which should help them um, in case like Jalen Jalen Hurts kind of has a, a bad game in the playoffs, which we kind of saw last year, and teams kind of take advantage of his weaknesses. But I think their elite talent at these premium positions will help them push through and hopefully propel them to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And yeah, you hit you hit on a lot of the things there that I think make the Eagles so good. I focus on just specifically the offensive line and kind of what that allows you to do in the playoffs. You know, if you have to go up against the Cowboys, I think being able to control the line of scrimmage against them and They've they've done a pretty good job against Micah Parsons in both of the games that they played against the Cowboys. And I think Shane Steich and Nick Sirianni do a really good job of planning. And that starts with the comfortability that the offensive line gives you, both being so good in pass blocking and run blocking, allowing you to do so many different run concepts, either with Jalen Hurts' design runs, Miles Sanders' runs, you know, who's having a career year this year, as well as a lot of developing pass concepts like the A.J. Brown go balls that have been so successful for mm -hmm. them this year, or the Devontae Smith 15-yard uh, intermediate routes that they're kind of hitting on often. So I think when you have this type of offensive line that it's so good playing together and so good in so many aspects of the game, you can really control a lot of the things you want to do in the playoffs with clock control, with wanting to go deep, like all the things that you need to do, whether it's a comeback or holding on to the lead, I think their offensive line will allow them to do it in in uh the going forward in the playoffs yeah we we've talked extensively about the eagles offensive line i think throughout the season just like when they need a, a drive when they need a scoring drive they go back to the run game they, they rely mm -hmm. on that elite offensive line um i hope lane johnson stays healthy he's obviously a key cog and as our friend judah forking and we've referenced this piece multiple times like the drop off between an elite tackle to an average tackle the um you know de decline like marginal production is pretty big so um hopefully they get him back um going on to their weakness like there really isn't any weakness uh, a big weakness like howie roseman alec Calabi, like the rest of that eagles like front office i've done a tremendous job of like putting together this team but to me i think Watkins is a huge liability as their third receiver. Um, in the ref in the metric I referenced earlier, just like getting open versus single man coverage, Quez Watkins is the second worst receiver, getting open only 24.6% of the time versus single man coverage. That is the second worst mark among receivers with at least 80 routes in the league. And you know, when you have AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, I don't think it really matters like how good your third receiver is because you're you're trying to funnel targets to those two as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But Again, like in the playoffs, it's a different beast. And like you have defensive coordinators that build uh, an entire game plan to stop your best players. And I do worry if Quez Watkins becomes like the guy that needs to like make a play on third down or something. We've seen multiple occasions in the season where he's kind of given up on routes, which lead to interceptions or, you know, erratic passes from Jalen Hurts. And I, I, you know, this is kind of a weakness going into the season, but because of how good the Eagles are, like it kind of, it kind of gets 
thrown under the bus, but I do worry in the playoffs where secondary receivers matter. But the Eagles, even after Quez Watkins, like it's Zach Pascal, and I, I just worry a little bit about them if, like, in the afford on like AJ Brown goes down or Devontae Smith goes down and these wide receiver threes become wide receiver twos that Quez Watkins who's already going against the worst corner every week has to step up and you know take on a bigger role mm-hmm. yeah that's that's true that's a really good point and you know you're hoping if you're the Eagles that some of the tight ends can step up but you know looking like kind of ahead before I get to my weakness the Eagles are gonna have a pick around 10 uh, depending on where the Saints end up finishing. And they play the Saints this week, so, you know, good good incentive for them to to win the game <laughs> against the Saints to, to make the Saints draft pick better for the Eagles. And I could see them taking a wide receiver with that pick and just having, you know, an all-star wide receiver trio with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and whatever wide receiver they decide to take in the top 10. But we'll talk about that more as we get into draft season. For me, you know, I, I, again, I had to kind of reach to pick a, a weakness for the Eagles here. For me, it's Jalen Hurts's. Um, you know, hurt shoulder or, or whatever kind of injury he's going through right now, you know, it's a limiting thing and they can't go back to that design run game that, you know, is their version of going and getting a bucket when they need to. I think like that could be something that kind of affects them in the playoffs because that's been their bread and butter the whole year has been the design run game with him and Sanders. And if Hertz is not able to replicate the, the similar level of production that he was before the injury, I think it could be worrisome for the Eagles going forward, but they have a lot of answers for that type of stuff in general. It's mm-hmm. just something to, to keep in mind. I think going forward. <laughs> when, when the weakness is the players like injury, I think that's that just speaks to how good the roster is. At, but, but yeah, that is a weakness. And again, we we've only seen Hurts in the playoffs like once, and it was against the Bucks last year, who he did struggle against mightily. So um, hopefully, he turns it around this year. Um, moving on to the 49ers, uh, why don't you kick us off with their biggest strength? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I you know I think it's right now. I think it's D'Amico Ryan's game plans. You know, I think Kyle Shanahan has done a phenomenal job with Brock Purdy, and we'll get to that when we get to the, the weaknesses, but D'Amico Ryans is just allowing the 49ers to have so much margin of error on offense. Right now, the 49ers defense is playing at such a high level. You know, Nick Bosa is a, or, yeah, Nick Bosa is a uh, defensive player of the year, candidate ranking very high in every defensive line metric, and I think, you know, what they're able to do with Fred Warner and the rest of that linebacker core has been really impressive, and D'Amico Ryans has a lot to work with, but he's the one that started this kind of downfall for the, the Dolphins offense. And I think we could see that again in the playoffs where we've seen offense has been clicking basically the entire year. He could come up with something innovative that other defenses hasn't tried yet. And he has the talent to pull it off. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does if they run into the, the Cowboys or the Eagles in the NFC playoffs. And then if they end up do making the Super Bowl, how he would approach stopping the Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, whatever team comes out of the mm-hmm. AFC. Because I'm, I've been so impressed with what he's done the entire year and think that he can he can stop almost every offense in the league right now, um, you know, with, with the type of game plans that he's putting out. Yeah, yeah, I I had just play calling in general. Um, that includes Demico Ryan's, but also like not taking away from how good Kyle Shanahan has been this year. Three quarterbacks he started, and the 49ers still rank sixth in offensive EPA. They rank sixth in dropback EPA. Like the the weird thing about Kyle Shanahan is like it feels like his run game has like never really been like a top 10, top five unit. Like it's always been their pass game that's driven like the success of this offense. Like that's how it is for most teams. Um, but for the for the 49ers specifically, like having a top six passing offense per EPA with 
uh, Purdy, Lance, and Jimmy G. Like it's it's been incredible to to kind of watch him you know, go about his business. And, you know, like you did a great job kind of explaining like D'Amico Ryan's like, you know, 49ers, I think their only blemish this year has been the Chiefs game. But I don't know. I don't really know what to think of that. Like maybe that is a sign of like how they will perform against like elite quarterbacks and elite offenses in general. But they've also shut down, you know, the Seahawks. They've shut down the Dolphins. Uh, I, I shouldn't say they shut down the Dolphins. I think Tua just had an off day, but part of that is because of, you know, the pressure that the Niners get. And you get Nick Bosa back healthy for the stretch run. Hopefully he has to like a deep boy uh, motivation to finish out the season and in the playoffs. But again, you know, moving on to their weakness, I think it, I, I do worry a little bit because I know you have a different one, but I do worry a little bit about their cornerback room uh, or no, I, I do worry about Kyle Shanahan's, um, willingness to lean on the run i think too much i think we like it's like the sunk cost fallacy thing like we know the the 49ers like their run game is like kind of like feared by most defenses like most defenses kind of try to stop the run against the against the 49ers but like like i just talked about their strength and like where they get a majority of their production is through the air or at least you know they are very efficient throwing the ball and i think they can take advantage of that where teams you know start loading up the box against them and they will have opportunities to run play action more often you know pass the ball more often this season they are passing the ball 4.2 percent less than expected but given that they have jimmy g and brock purdy like i'll give them a pass but i think like if you're kyle shanahan and you're going to go into the playoffs with you know, teams running stacked boxes against a backup quarterback, a, a rookie quarterback. I feel like Purdy's shown enough where you can like maybe trust him a little bit more to throw the ball early in the game. If it doesn't work out, maybe you, you dial it back a little bit. But I do think the 49ers like uh, run game, like run run pass splits are kind of is kind of an issue that I I think could hold them back in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. And, uh, you know, something that Ben Baldwin's mentioned before is Kyle Shannon gets so much credit for his run game coordination when the 49ers never really rank that highly in rush EPA or rush success rate. But they always rank super highly in past EPA, past success rate, whatever metrics there. And I would like to see a slight uptick in that going forward. Uh, and, and you know, for me, it's kind of similar. Like, Brock Purdy's uncertainty right now is still something that's holding me back from mm-hmm. you know putting the 49ers up there with the Eagles in the kind of like the first tier of the NFC right so when we look at kind of like Brock Purdy's range of outcomes his mean or his median is honestly right around where Jimmy G's efficiency is from an EPA per play standpoint you know Jimmy G was usually getting 0.19 EPA per play as his as his most common outcome and Brock Purdy is at 0.16 so pretty similar but there is still a 30% chance that Brock Purdy has negative or, or below average EPA per play from a quarterback standpoint. There's also a 20% chance that he has above Jimmy G's range of outcomes. So when mm-hmm. you factor all that in there, like we still don't know exactly what we're going to get from Brock Purdy on a week to week basis. And that's a weakness to me because when you know you're getting a more consistent version of Jimmy G where his range of outcomes is always pretty consistent with what his output ends up being, you can game plan around that and you can you can plan on based on when certain things will happen for Jimmy G and what you want to do from there. Brock Purdy could do a lot of things right now. 
He's had a decent amount of dropped interceptions that could have turned into some really bad plays, especially in that Seahawks game on Thursday night. But he's also made some really good throws that you hope he can keep making, and he might even make more of them if they start to open up the pass game more. So it's it's just going to be a little tough for the 49ers going forward, not exactly knowing what Brock Purdy is going to give you on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. Um, I think when you do your, like, your Beijing like bootstrapping. I think you kind of see that a little bit. I know using EPA probably is trying to measure his production rather than his play, but I do agree. Like we don't really know how he's going to produce throughout the rest of the season. Um, going back to the AFC now, talking about the Cincinnati Bengals nine to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, why don't you kick us off with what you think their biggest strength is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think having the the best receiver trio in the NFL is something that's going to propel the Bengals into the playoffs and always keep them in every game. We know what Jamar Chase can do where he can break off an explosive play anytime. But T Higgins is one of the best, if not the best receivers at the catch point this season. Some of the catches that he's been able to make along the sideline, uh, you know, in contested catches areas have been super impressive. And then when you think you get done trying to defend Jamar Chase and T Higgins, you have Tyler Boyd, who's done a really, really good job for them as well and Burrow has played well but we've also seen from Kevin Cole's quarterback adjustments that he has the most help from a receiver standpoint in the entire league this year the Bengals rarely drop passes they get the most yak over expected in the league and some of that is Burrow accurately placing passes that increase the yak because Burrow is a very accurate quarterback but Mm. this receiver trio is is very very good and they're always going to do something that allows them to stay in all these games, whether they're they're down or they're leading and they need to close out a game. And that's what makes them so dangerous going into the playoffs because they've been able to consistently do this the whole year. Yeah, um, I know we didn't get to review the Sunday games because of travel and stuff, but w- watching the the Bengals, like the rerun of that game, like I thought Joe Burrow's nails against the Patriots, like he was making some insane throws that I like we've kind of, I've kind of like held him back for not being able to make, but like he was making them consistently. So I, I do agree that their offense in general, I went with like offensive firepower is kind of like their strength. Um, just their ability to number one, sustain drive. So last year, remember like they were like 12th in EPA per play, but 18th in success rate, which kind of shows like they were relying on explosive plays just like too much this year. Their offense is third in EPA per, or fourth in EPA per play, but third in EPA per dropback, third in dropback success rate. Like they've not only been able to to move the ball efficiently, it's been through sustained drives, and they have the fifth most explosive plays. You know, twenty yard receptions in the league, so they can sustain drives while also creating an explosive play at the at the snap of a finger. And that's just what you know this Bengals offense is like. They have you know almost every almost all of their receivers basically have a positive yards after catch over expected like Jamar Chase ranks in the top 10 in next gen stats yards over catch um over expected um T Higgins is a, is positive as well like they and Tyler Boyd is positive as well so you kind of like know that they can win at the catch point they can win before the catch Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow's been great but the ability for any one of their receivers to kind of like turn a 10 yard hitch or 10 yard curl mm-hmm. into a 60 yard touchdown is kind of unparalleled to most teams in the league. Like you have the dolphins and stuff, but um, I do, I definitely think their ability to create explosives is, is very important in the playoffs. I'm um, going on to their weakness. I do think their cornerback room gives me a little bit of a worry. Like I, maybe I, I need to update my priors, but it's been a couple of weeks since we, you know, Chidobia Wuzi has gone down and we haven't really seen the Bengals have like that big of a drop off. Part of that is like Eli Apple having a career season 
um, playing outside corner. But I do worry that like the Cam Taylor Brits and, you know, now that he's hurt a little bit, if he's playing hurt in the playoffs, like good quarterbacks like Mahomes and Josh Allen and Herbert will like take advantage of bad corners. Um, maybe they are not that level like Brady yet, but I, I think I still worry about their cornerbacks just a little bit. We haven't really seen, you know, Cam Taylor Britt in the playoffs or whoever's like Trey Flowers is a pretty, you know, he's, he's an okay backup, but like it's not someone you want to be starting in the playoffs. So I think, you know, the Bengals have a lot of strengths there. They have a pretty complete team this year and not a lot of injuries, but the loss of Shadobia Ch- Wuzia could be felt in the playoffs where you kind of need a, a true alpha wider or cornerback one to, to stop the Stephon Diggs's and like Keenan Allen's of the world and, you know, stopping um, other receivers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I I think that is a, a worrisome for the the Bengals in that aspect. For me, I think their weakness is pass blocking. You know, I, I don't think that their offensive line is as bad as it was last year. And they've they've been pretty good in from a run blocking standpoint, but from a pass blocking standpoint, they still don't handle pressure as well as you would want a, a true contender to have. And you know, when you're gonna face you know, a team like the Bills or uh, the the Chargers getting Joey Bosa back in the playoffs, you do want to see your offensive line be able to hold up to allow you to get into your your pass game concepts that make your offense so explosive. And uh, you know, before we move on to the Cowboys, one note on explosive play rate. Uh, you know, I I, I saw this kind of going around a little bit of discourse about this. Uh, explosive plays should be defined as like a standard thing. Like if you want to do fifteen yard plays across the board, it should be defined as 15 yard plays. Or if you want to choose an EPA amount, I don't love having rush plays, rush explosive plays be defined as 10 plus yards and pass plays be defined as 20 plus yards. I think that kind of ruins the point of explosive plays. And, you know, that's how you end up with the bears having a more explosive, you know, quote unquote offense than the, the chiefs in, in that regard. But that was just a quick side note. I wanted to point out there for an aspect, not taking a shot at anyone in particular, just kind of like how they're defined as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, I'm I'm also subject to I mean, I'm putting out these kind of like explosive playgrounds. I do like my like explosive play table is, is derived from Marcus Mosher, who's like a cow like a cowboys podcaster. Um, he puts out like big plays for offense, and I just wanted to do it for the defense using his parameters. To my understanding, he uses uh passing plays of 20 plus and rushing plays of 10 plus, which again, like I, I don't necessarily necessarily agree with the definitions of it, but for the sake of consistency and to give like credit to him for creating this table, I did I just use those parameters. Mm-hmm. To my understanding, I think Bill Belichick also uses the same parameters, but um, you know, we we've kind of shown how Bill Belichick maybe isn't like the most like inclined to like these type of like analytic things. So, you know, I you can't slide Bill Belichick, goat coach. Um yeah. But but yeah, I, I do agree with your thing. And like if I was to create like a, a my own explosive play table, I think I'd go about it in a different way. But yeah, yeah let's and, on to I mean, it's, it's yeah. fine if you want to just compare like, oh, like this is just a team's rush explosive pass rate. And this is just a team's pass explosive pass rate. But like just as like uh, like you're just comparing one or the other. But when you combine the two together, I think is where the problem is. And you kind of get some symptom paradox there. But yeah, it wasn't I, I do like your your tables on that. And Marcus's tables as well. I just think like the definition is something that mm-hmm. could be debated in the future. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dallas Cowboys 11-1 to to win the Super Bowl. So um, I went with winning the line of scrimmage on both sides as a strength. Now that they get Tyron Smith back, they have uh, a pretty good offensive line. Um, I know losing Terrence Steele could be big. But they have the you know Tyron Smith and Tyler Smith to kind of like hold up on the outside. Jason Peters is also there. Um, we've I mean their defensive line might be the best in terms of pass rushing. They rank first in pressure percentage. Pressure percentage. Um, their pass blocking unit has been okay, or no, they've been pretty good. Their run blocking has been okay. I think Paul, uh, Zeke leaves a lot of yards on the table, and Pollard kind of takes advantage of those um, unspoken yards. But I, th- I think their ability to control the line of scrimmage on both fronts is super important. And, I mean, having Micah Parsons at edge rusher is obviously a cheat code in itself. But Marcus Lawrence, I think, has been having a great season. And they've, uh, Dan Quinn has really gotten career seasons out of guys like Dorrance Armstrong and kind of like Dante Fowler's like revitalization, being a good rotation player. So I think when it comes to the playoffs, like if the Cowboys can control the line of scrimmage. Um, I think they have a shot to kind of beat anyone, especially with the way Dak is playing, excluding the turnovers. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I think like yeah, that the Dak discourse right now is is kind of crazy. I think people who are kind of just looking at interception numbers in general and seeing that he leads the league in interceptions, thinking that he has a bad season, but seven of his fourteen interceptions aren't deemed as turnover worthy plays, the most in the league. So we we saw you know in the Thursday night game against the Titans. Uh, the ball that bounced off his receiver's chest into the Titans defenders is kind of a summary of, of Dak's interception right now. But I, I do really like your strength there. And my strength is is Dak to CD connection. You know, I think CD Lamb has had a phenomenal season this year, generating 57.1 total EPA on his pass targets. And then again, going back to the receiver metrics done by ESPN using tracking data, he's at a 75 overall out of 100 with an 82 open score, which has been really, really impressive. I think his route running has been phenomenal this season. And I think as long as they have that, this, the Dak passes to CeeDee Lamb over the middle of the field was something that the Eagles weren't able to stop in zone defense the entire game when most of their defense was healthy. So if we see that rematch in the playoffs, I think that the Cowboys could go back to that again. And I, I do think Kellen Moore knows what he's doing uh, as a play caller and will lean into a lot of those concepts that he thinks can break the Eagles defense. And if they play some other teams in the playoffs as well, like the Bucks. Yeah. I mean, you went on the forecast on Wednesday and you gave out CD Lamb over five and a half receptions and he cast that shit in the first first half. Yeah. Like it was five and a half at plus money. I'm like, when I saw that after you gave it out, I'm like, there's just like no way. Like this is like way too easy at home against a terrible mm-hmm. tight end secondary. Um, but yeah, um, it kind of leads into my weakness. 
which is the Cowboys just don't have reliable second and third receivers. You can use total yards. You can use total EPA, EPA per target. They just don't have anyone reliable to get the ball to on third down on money plays or just in general. And the thing with the Cowboys, and this was something I looked at um, a couple of days ago, like they have one of the highest rates of running the ball after an incompletion on first and 10. So second and 10 runs just in general. It could like I think the thought process there is like maybe since they're more aggressive on fourth down, they have more of an inclination to run the ball on second down because they know they have two downs to get a first down. But I, I think I do worry about this wide receiving room in the playoffs. We've talked about on, on this show, especially just like how um you need secondary receiving options to step up in the playoffs. You can't have CD be the the funnel guy of when it comes to facing teams like the Bucks or teams like the 49ers who do a great job of like scheming away to stop your wide receiver one i don't trust michael gallup i don't trust noah brown to get open and the thing like i've kind of learned from cowboys fans the past couple of days replying to my tweets is like you have cd getting open on third down and then there's no one and so <laughs> if it's cd or bust i don't trust the, the cowboys to go far at all it could just be another typical cowboys playoff run but they're going to need one of like Noah Brown or Michael Gallup or lining Tony Pollard up in the slot to step up because if teams bracket CD Lamb, if they take away, you know, Dak's number one receiving option, I worry about their ability to move the ball, especially on the money downs when it gets to the playoffs against good defenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I do think that's a pretty big weakness for them. You know, I hope that they're able to scheme around then Dak's able to play at a high enough level to overcome that, but it's, it's going to be a tough problem to overcome. I, on the other side of the ball, for me, I think the Cowboys' weakness is the secondary might let down the pass rush. And the, the Cowboys' pass rush is insane, right? 41.5% pressure rate leads the league, 4% uh, better than second place of where the Eagles are at. And I, I just don't fully trust the Cowboys' secondary right now. Uh, the corners mm -hmm. and, uh, and safeties, I, I don't think, are particularly playing that well. And they kind of let Trevor Lawrence do whatever he wanted to them uh, two weeks ago. Gardner Minshew kind of got the same treatment last week. And then we saw the Thursday night game where Joshua Dobbs was even able to move on them. And he was the, the Titans third string quarterback. So it, it, it is a little bit bad. I think the pass rush might be so good that it canceled it out. But from like a injury standpoint, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think eventually they'll, they'll get some of their injured players back in the secondary, but it is, it is something that I think needs to be, kept kept an, an eye on for sure going forward. Like why I kind of worry about them having to go to Tampa um on on in the playoffs. Like Tom Brady will pick on Deron Bland all game. You line him up against Chris Godwin and he's gonna target him relentlessly. So yeah, I, I do worry about their secondary group a little bit. Um and having to start guys like Deron Bland kind of worries me. Uh, but yeah, the Cowboys are. I think they'll be fine. They they are the better team than the Bucks. And I think, what do you what do you think the line will be if they go like everyone else stays healthy for the rest of the year and then they go to Tampa Bay? I'd probably make it like Cowboys minus five, minus five and a half. Yeah, I I, I think it'd be right around there. I think it'd be Cowboys four and a half five. Uh, and that that's a tough line to take because. We saw that week one game where the Bucks just dominated the Cowboys, yeah. but the teams are, are pretty different since then from, from a play level standpoint, but it's still tough to get that out of your mind when you saw like how badly that game went for the Cowboys. So that'll, that'll be really interesting. I, I think that would be, you know, a sneaky, interesting matchup. It might not look like two or like the Bucks like aren't a great team 
right now, but like you never know with Tom Brady in the playoffs and like with the way that the defense is able to play. Yeah. Yeah, no, I uh totally agree. Um, okay, moving on, just a couple more teams. Uh Los Angeles Chargers, they are twenty-two to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh finally made the playoffs with Justin Herbert. That was you know, never. I didn't expect it to happen when I was in India, but you know, it's it's pretty cool to that Justin Herbert finally makes the playoffs. Brandon Staley made the playoffs as well. Um, you know, I think their biggest strength, obviously, is just Justin Herbert in general. Uh, probably one of the four or five elite quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Um, I know his efficiency numbers aren't there. His like yards per attempt, EPA per play, success rate, none of that is high at all. Like, you don't need to explain to me that Justin Herbert statistically is having a down season. I think if you just like. I think Justin Herbert is the biggest watch the game nerd quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> Find out that he is a good quarterback. Like, you know, a lot of people like to compare Justin Herbert's 2022 season to like Tua's 2021 season or just like other average quarterbacks in the past. But like the way that Justin Herbert statistically has gotten to his, you know, below average EPA per play is different. It's different than how the, uh, these other quarterbacks do. Last year, Tua had the highest turnover worthy play rate in the NFL. Justin Herbert has the lowest or the second lowest, right? He doesn't turn pressure into sacks. Like he has mitigated a ton of weaknesses in this offense, especially the offensive line with his pocket movement. So I think with him, they have a chance against anybody. They are getting healthy at the right time as well. But again, this team starts and ends with Justin Herbert. And as long as he isn't losing the Chargers games, which he hasn't at all in any game, um, I think you're going to talk about another strength of this team. I think as long as he plays like he's played all season, I think the Chargers have a chance against any team in, um, mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I, I love that because, you know, when the Chargers clinched the playoffs against the Colts uh, last week, kind of my first thought was, well, they're not a great football team, you know, by any metric, and they haven't played particularly well this year, like not yeah. down the top 10 level. But when you have Herbert and seeing that flea flicker throw, the laser that he threw uh, across the field is like, that's the type of stuff that he can do. And I agree that's the strength of this roster. But I wanted to take this time to talk about Brandon Staley and his defensive game plans. We've been talking to our friend Steven Ruiz about how much of a heater Brandon Staley has been on these past couple of weeks with how he's approached each of these games. I think the Dolphins game plan against, against the Dolphins offense was one of his best of the entire season. But we've been kind of seeing this the entire year. And our friend Sam Hoppin uh, put out you know some really good data on this yesterday so we you know we don't love to use splits because football is already a small sample size mm-hmm. sport so you're cutting it down but there is a lot of noise to what happens in the last five weeks of of the season right now because like that's what most recently happened and that's kind of the players that you'll have going to the playoffs charges defense second in the paper play second against the pass and second in success rate and they've only allowed 17 points a game and we've gone four and one in this these last mm-hmm. five games here so i think staley's done a really really good job overcoming some of the injuries that the defense saw maybe some of the signings like jc jackson not working out as well as he thought that they were going to work out maybe but he, he still overcome a lot of that and we saw why the chargers wanted to hire uh, Brandon Staley and now if he can just get the fourth down decision making back and maybe become more <laughs> aggressive into the playoffs I'll be fully into kind of what he has going forward yeah yeah the, the fourth down stuff is, will be interesting because he's gonna have to be aggressive since the Chargers will probably be underdogs in every game that they play um since they'll probably be on the road but yeah I mean Staley's just been tremendous the defense has taken a huge step up a lot of rotation players like Kyle Van Noy, Kenneth Murray, like have been stepping up to the plate. And I think they've they've been a 
you know, a unit that could be scary in the playoffs now that they get Joey Bosa back in some capacity. Um, but we we talked we just talked about the Chargers play calling on the defensive side of the ball. Their biggest weakness is easily Joel Lombardi. Like I, you know, we don't really talk talk down on a lot of coaches. Like, first of all, we're not big scheme people. So you know, trying to quantify how good a coordinator has been from a public perspective is, is a little bit difficult. But when every single analyst, respected analyst, people in the league have said, you know, the biggest thing holding the Chargers back is their play calling. I think you have to like adhere to that and just understand that like, I, I think Joel Lombardi is a smart guy. I just don't think he's really maximizing Justin Herbert. Um, everyone's kind of caught on to the whole stick, stick and curl, stick mesh, all of these simple route concepts to pick up four yards to get on, to get to third and two, fourth and two. Like the, it's just the Chargers don't have like an offensive system. I trust it. I trust in the playoffs. And if they have to go against guys like Lou Anarumo or, you know, Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott, I don't really see how, you know, the Chargers like will win the coaching battle there. And, you know, the, the Chargers just like stats wise on offense don't show up well at all. Um, right. So like they're outside the top 10 in EPA per play, they're 20th in dropback success rate, they're 18th in uh, dropback EPA, and they're 19th in offensive EPA overall. So uh, a part of that is the injuries, but I do think, you know, there are times where Drill Lombardi hasn't really called a great game. And, you know, he relies too much on screens. I think he relies too much on the short game. And there is no ability to generate explosives um, because, you know, they don't run a lot of deeper developing concepts. So, um, you know, I, we, Justin Herbert can kind of, again, mitigate all of that. But I, I do worry about the play calling when it comes to the playoffs and when they go against some good defensive play callers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's so true. And uh, I, I think yeah, Lombardi is is the weakness. I kind of had something similar scheming around the offensive line. I think they haven't done enough of moving the pocket this year where you can get Justin Herbert away from the four or five man rush that are being sent because the offensive line gets beat a decent amount. And I think getting Herbert out of there and allowing him to throw on the run is where he can make his best throws. But Lombardi doesn't call that that often. And, you know, I think the offensive line, if Herbert has to stay in the pocket is going to be a problem for them going forward in, in these playoffs here as, as they play some of these high end pass rushes that they might see in the playoffs and get more of these specific game plans, which, which worries me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, let's move on to the Ravens, 25-1. to 1. Um, I'm going to have you kick us off here. What do you think is the Ravens' biggest strength this season? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if Lamar Jackson is going to play this week on Sunday night against the Steelers, but if he does come back to that Week 18 matchup against the Bengals, I think the biggest strength for the Ravens becomes the run game with Lamar Jackson. They had a 0.08 EPA per rush as a team when Lamar was healthy. Lamar was the most efficient rusher in the league when you had a minimum of 30 carries and had the highest rushing yards over expected. And 0.08 EPA per rush is better than all but 12 pass offenses. So they can basically have an above average pass offense as a, from an efficiency standpoint with their rush offense when Lamar has been running. And their offense has dropped from seventh best in the league to 22nd best going from Lamar to Huntley. So I think when you get Lamar back, that that becomes your superpower is what he can do from a design run game standpoint. Mm-hmm. I just hope with his injury, he's able to get back to the rushing level that we saw from him earlier in the season. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, we've we've seen a small drop off between Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson, not only in like just in the offense overall, but specifically the designed run game. Um, and like Lamar Jackson hasn't given the ball to like J.K. Dobbins or like Gus Edwards. Like when he was 
at his peak in the early part of the season. I mean, he was handing the ball off to like Kenyon Drake mm-hmm. uh, and and like people like that, Justice Hill. So now that he has like actual like you know younger NFL running backs to give the ball to, I think that'll be a huge boost for the Ravens. I went with winning like the small edges in in, in the analytics battle. Um, you know, John Harbaugh is one of the best in terms of um, going for it on fourth downs, using his timeouts wisely. Like these kind of highlighted how people like Daniel Stern and like the rest of that uh, coaching analytics group for the Ravens have helped him along that way. But he also adheres to the math more often than not. And, you know, I, I do think that part of the Ravens is kind of like gone uh, hasn't really been talked about a ton just because of like, you know, there's other issues and other strengths of the roster. I was I was also thinking about going with just like Mike McDonald and like how good the Ravens defense has been in, of late and how like the shift schematically from a defensive perspective of going from Wink Martindale's like blitz heavy to Mike McDonald's like too high prevent explosive play scheme has kind of worked out. But I do think like analytics or winning the analytics battle is big. And if they go against some like non-analytics coaches in the playoffs. I think Harbaugh can kind of run circles around him. But going on to the weakness, I think of just not having a reliable receiver. Like I I really don't trust the receiving room at all. Demarcus Robinson, Deshaun Jackson, Sammy Watkins, like it isn't an inspiring receiving group at all. And, you know, there is a point where like it's okay. It's you need secondary receivers to win playoff games, but you also need a reliable receiver to get open on money downs. Like you can't have Lamar Jackson, like running designed runs on third and seven, because you can't throw the ball. So, you know, the Ravens are a pretty like sharp organization from like a coaching analytics and like game planning perspective, I think. Um, But I I do like, I don't know what they're going to do in the playoffs when, you know, Demarcus Robinson is your wide receiver one. Like I don't, it's tough to kind of like think about what they're going to do to move the ball um because like mark andrews is great but you also need like the real receivers not just tight ends mm-hmm. to kind of get open and i think that that's a huge worry it has been all season since rashad bateman has gone down but especially in the playoffs where your weaknesses get you know magnified i think um not having a real receiver a one or even two is going to be big yes no i i agree and you know i mean we we did do contenders here but the ravens don't feel like contenders because their wide receivers aren't that good and for me that's why it's Greg Roman's passing game, too many design passes to Patrick Ricard. You know, he's, he's not working with much, but like th- there's not like much innovation that's happening from a passing game perspective. And that starts with not having much talent at receivers, but also the scheme hasn't been that good. I, I would think, you know, Greg Roman would have some more creativity from that aspect from, from a receiver standpoint and from a passing game standpoint, but it has been, you know, pretty ugly to watch so far, especially with Huntley in there, who's not even a bad backup quarterback, but just Mm -hmm. someone that's not able to give you much juice from that perspective. You can really see the weaknesses of this Ravens roster exposed these, these past couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, Let's wrap up with the Bucks, And then I I have one thing I want to say after, but um, with the Bucks, um, so there, I've been fading the Bucks from a betting perspective all season since at least like week four. Um, thanks to you know my friend, our friend Judah Forgan, kind of like telling me like not to hold on to priors, and it, it's been very profitable. They're like three and eleven against the spread. But <laughs> when it comes to the playoffs, like, is there any quarterback like outside of Mahomes that you fear more than playoff Brady? No, I mean, even that Sunday night game against the the Cardinals, Cardinals. when when he was down 10, I wasn't watching, but he was down 10. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like, I'm going to start watching this and, and kind of see if Trace McSorley can pull this off. And then when Brady got those two possessions, I'm like, oh, no, the yeah. game's over. Like, like he's he, this is what he does, right? He, he lives yeah. in moments like that. 
Yeah, I know. And it goes back to the the Bucks Saints scheme that we watched together with our with some of our uh friends at Buffalo Wild Wings. We left when the Saints are up 16 to 3 with like 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. We're like, okay, this there's no way, right? We we check Bucks score and it's like it's over. They get a 44 44 yard DPI and like the game, the game's over, right? So Brady, you know, for all the crap the Bucks have got him this year like for how bad their offense and defense have been he just he steps up in the clutch like I, there isn't a quarterback i fear more than brady in the clutch even like i i still think he's better like or i don't think he's better than mahomes but he's like on par if not better than mahomes like leading these game-winning drives all it takes is one thing to go wrong for for him to step up and you know like it's not that we hate tom brady we're just like not big fans of him and the fact that he does it time and time again at age 45 is it's just very very annoying and again like in the playoffs if, if you're letting him you know have the ball down four with two minutes left or you know tie game two minutes left i mean are you really gonna think he's not gonna win that game i think the answer i think the answer is no mm-hmm. yeah no I, I agree and yeah that 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 does seem to be their their main strength for me i just want to give another shout out to carlton davis i think the way that he guarded jamar chase two weeks ago was phenomenal and you know if they see high-end wide receiver ones in the playoffs maybe he can do it again but yeah it, do, it does seem like playoff brady is probably the, the the way to go from a strength perspective from a weakness perspective why don't you kind of share what, what you've uh, been feeling about their coaching staff yeah i just I, their coaching staff in general has just like really been disappointing like there were so many people on the byron leftwich train um before the season and like you know i think i do a okay job of like not letting uh like outside opinions kind of kind of like drive my opinion um and so like i thought byron left which is a pretty good play caller before the season but man i i just like it, the offense has been so bad the or not so bad the offense just has been like so stagnant despite all the receiving weapons they have but more importantly like i think todd bowles I mean, we pretty much know the Bucks don't really have an analytics staff for helping out Todd Bowles. Like their only analytics, like public staffer is Jacqueline Davidson. But even then, I think she's like a more of a salary cap research person. But the Bucks, like they're below average in terms of going for it on fourth down when they're supposed to. Um, and it feels like they've punted so many games away, kicked so many games away. And like they don't win the small edges in the analytics department. Like we we just talked about how the Ravens are kind of really good in that regard. The Bucks are on the complete opposite spectrum. And, you know, I, I do worry about them um, when it comes to like the playoffs, when they're going to go against like Mike McCarthy and when they go against like Nick Sirianni, like guys who adhere to the analytics and win those small edges. Right. And even even like game planning, which is like analytics plays a part into like, OK, you can agree with me on this. The Bucks offense doesn't do anything until they go hurry up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And like that's, yeah. that's a huge part of their success when they go hurry up and they're not you know, using plays that they game plan for and they're just letting Brady play play football, right? So I, I worry about the coaching staff in general, but specifically like how they use analytics and like how they don't win the small edges at all until, you know, their stars kind of like show up uh, towards the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I am curious to see if they did more hurry up before end of two minutes uh, at the end of the half, if it would be successful for them. You know, defenses are playing more soft coverages in that aspect. So maybe that's kind of why it looks successful. But like 
they should just try it at this point because whatever else they're doing on offense is not working. And for me, their weakness is their rushing offense. They have the worst rushing offense in the league by EP per rush. Leonard Fournette and Rashad White both rank bottom five in rushing yards over expected. They've been really, really bad at that aspect. And they have the second biggest difference in pass EPA minus rush EPA uh, in the league. So their, their pass offense is significantly better than their rush offense, but they still choose to rush the ball. So I, I think like, yeah, maybe just, just go more into hurry up. It's something that Mina Times has talked about a lot on her podcast or on Twitter and gave you a shout out on for your, your stats about, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of like hurry up offense and how good the Bucks have been at it this year. So I, I am curious to see if, they were to try it, but given how the coaching staff has been pretty stagnant this year, I don't really see it happening. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to wrap up, you know, what we had today. Like we, we did the top nine teams per DraftKings uh, to, to win the Super Bowl. So um, teams like the Vikings, the Dolphins, the Packers, like we, we just left out because uh, first of all, we went longer than I thought, like we always do this. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was a great episode. The last thing I did want to talk about, um, you know, we haven't given out bets in a while for a reason. We've been awful this year. Yeah. Um, in no way do I think this is any indication of us as people. Like obviously betting is how you can kind of compare your thoughts against market opinions. But again, we are, we are betting very late in the week, which is super unprofitable. So, um, but I did want to highlight our futures that we've started to grade. So we've had seven futures that we've graded. Uh, we're four and three up 1.25 units. We cashed um, Jets over five and a half wins. That was an easy one. We cashed Bears under six and a half and under five and a half at plus 180. So that was a very nice profitable bet. We capped Raiders under eight and a half. And the bets we lost, we lost um, Colts to win the AFC South, which that was probably the worst bet I've placed all year in terms of futures. <laughs> uh we lost Rashawn Gary Depoy, but you know that was kind of expected. And then we lost USC under nine and a half, which you know we're not big college people and we were kind of like using Kelly Ford's analysis there, which you know we don't we obviously gave out the pick so we had some vindication about it. Mm -hmm. But you know, um we don't really do a lot of college football. So at the end of the day we're kind of like four and one on on NFL bets, uh discounting the Rashawn Gary pick. And, you know, Saints over three division wins has a chance to push after all the, the fuckery that's gone on with the Saints throughout this year. If it pushes week 18, I'll be I'll be happy. And then the big one, the Justin Jefferson Offensive Player of the Year ticket, your 25 to one Jefferson ticket, which closed like 12 to one or something. He's now the betting odds on betting favorite minus 800 to win offensive player of the year if we cash that i mean we'll we'll still be in the negative but we'll be much much less negative mm -hmm. than where we started so um and you know justin herbert under 13 and a half interceptions he's at 10 two games left i i feel like that's, that's a lock but you know he doesn't really throw that many interceptions but how are how are you feeling about you know our futures and like you know our process going into that yeah i mean yeah i i think i think we had a better read on those than we've had on the in-season game line spreads i mean you put out your graph yesterday showing the mean absolute error of the betting markets and kind of like what the actual point differential is for specific games and the betting markets have been really good this year at, at predicting games and so like i don't think we had a good read on those but from a futures perspective i think ju ju the justin jefferson one that we both really liked at the mm -hmm. beginning of the season is is going to be the big one here and you know even though i think tyree kill should probably win offensive player of the year i'll keep my mouth shut about that stuff so that Justin Jefferson can get that one for us yeah. because I think that'd be super cool to win a futures bat like that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's been able to have the season that he's had to, to put him, to put ourselves in, in contention to, to close out that bet there.
Yeah, we're, that that'll pay for the first uh, Skeeps or Rick's push for those <laughs> in our who know what we're talking about or in Michigan in general. Um, but yeah, that's gonna so that's gonna wrap it up for our, our episode today. Hope everyone enjoyed you know kind of a newer episode that we did. I'm um, not really previewing, but talking about strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, we'll we'll be back to our. I, we'll probably be back to our two episode scheduling next week. Um, travel might cause some issues there, but um, you know, heading into the playoffs, we want to be a full strength as a as a you know as a podcast. So super excited for what's to come, and hopefully everyone enjoys the rest of their holidays. Have a happy new year, and you know, thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. But um, again, until next time, I'll take the points. So